Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day, that last verse we just sang, when he returns in power to reign, and every creature, no, no exceptions, every creature will fall on bended knee before him. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 33 this evening, Psalm 33, and uh, we got some outlines here, and there's some in the back if you'd like one, but um, the genre of this psalm, we've, you know, we have different genres of the psalms. Uh, some are lament psalms, some are messianic ones that point to Christ. Many of them can be a couple of things. Many of them have messianic overtones. This one's a praise psalm, just, just a psalm of praise uh, to God. If you look at Psalm 33, there is no superscript. It's absent. And um, that is not necessarily abnormal. Some psalms don't have them uh, that provide contextual information. But sometimes there's no superscript there because that psalm is just a continuation of the previous one. And um, chapters, verses are are not necessarily inspired. It's something that uh, we've put in there so we can find a reference pretty quick. And it's possible that Psalm 32 and Psalm 33 were one long song. You know, last week when we finished Psalm 32, if you look at the last verse there in verse 11, it says, Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. So that Psalm, Psalm 32, that was all about justification, how you and I can be declared righteous before God, how we can be saved when we confess and repent, and the joy that comes from that. Uh, It ended there by calling us to be glad about that and to rejoice and shout for joy. Two terms were used there, you righteous and you upright in heart. And here in verse 1 of Psalm 33, we've got the very same message and the very same terms. It says, rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. So I I got a feeling that it is a continuation of uh, of the same psalm, Psalm 32 here. Uh, It continues the command for you and I to offer joyous praise because we have a relationship with God by his grace through faith. We have forgiveness of sins. We have new life. We have eternal life. Let's read Psalm chapter 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with the harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the debt in the storehouses." Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people with none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. 
the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There's no king saved by the multitude of the host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. But behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. I want you to pay attention to that last phrase there, the last verse. According as we hope in thee. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word tonight, uh, it is such a timely uh, encouragement, uh, such a so full uh, of truths that we need to hear right now um, in, in a time when this world feels very chaotic, when we might have anxiety, even fear, Lord, because of things that are going on. We're reassured here that you are sovereign and that you are a God who saves, and we're called to rejoice and to give you praise because of that. We're called to experience your salvation and your grace, and we're pointed to have faith as a way that we're going to do that. Lord, help our experience of your grace be uh, of a strong faith. Uh, I pray that your mercy would be upon us according as we hope in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 1 to 3, there's a call to praise. I love this study that we're going through in the Psalms. I think it was last week somebody said, this is a big book. It is. I don't know if we're not going to take a break, you know, in between the books that are in the Psalms. There's five books. We might take a break so it stays fresh. But I just love this study. It's God's hymnal. I love to sing and, and praise. I love having two at the beginning of our Wednesday night recharge service, two at the end. And verse one, praise is called for in the form of joyous songs. We get that from verses two to three. But here's the thing, just like last week, if an unholy, a rebellious, a transgressing, a sinful people can be declared righteous and receive salvation from God, the results ought to be some joyous singing, shouldn't they? That you and I have been saved from a life, a, a destination going toward hell. We didn't deserve it, but God did that for us in Jesus Christ. When we have faith in his grace, the right response, as verse 1 says there, it's comely or it's the right response uh, to those who are righteous and upright. Definitely talking like last week about how our positional status before God, when we accept uh, what Christ has provided for us by faith, we accept his grace, we are justified, positionally declared righteous before God. And that's going to have evidence in our lives in a practical way. We're also going to be practically righteous and upright with God. But it starts first uh, with us being positionally right before him. It says rejoice, very first word. In Hebrew, that's renan, and it means give a ringing cry and um, most of the time when I sing that's how I sound that's why I turn my mic off when we're doing corporate worship um, but it's the right response it's a, as a result of our salvation 
we should give praise to God. We have the call to praise. He's, he's talking here about the singers. Who should sing to God? Every single person that's received his grace, whether you can sing well or not. So I'm still supposed to sing. Let's look at the specifics, verse 2 to 3. You know what? How we praise God is not entirely up to us. He says here, verse 2, Praise the Lord with a harp. Sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud voice. God gets pretty specific in his word as to how he wants to be worshipped. Now, are we doing it wrong because we don't have a, a harp or a psaltery up here? Not really common instruments anymore. Uh, typically, we have a guitar. We've got a keyboard and a piano. Sometimes we have a trumpet up here. We sometimes have drums. The point is that God likes to be praised through musical instruments. He does. Uh, you know, but the thing is, sometimes, and especially in our religious history, we've got too many examples of men being, I guess what I would call, more than positively creative in responding to how we're supposed to worship. Uh, God gives us some leeway, there's no doubt, but what we often see in the Old Testament and the New in Israel, and even in the early church, and we've, we're seeing it today, is... is um, just a little bit too much freeness and creativity with how God wants to be worshipped. Uh, he does allow some of that, but in the Old Testament, we see them set up alternate sites of worship. Israel and Judah divided after King, David, after King Solomon, um, and, and they didn't want to go down to Jerusalem to worship anymore, so they made a different place to worship. God never told them to. He wasn't pleased with it. He wanted everyone to worship at that one place. He gets to dictate God gets to dictate how he wants to be worshipped. Uh, you see in the Old Testament, when they bring in other religions that happened under Solomon's reign, they would try to syncretize uh, idolatry with, with God's word, the, the way he asks to be worshipped. We even see that today. We just need to be very careful. Uh, what, how God says he wants to be worshipped, we need to worship him that way. Now, we can take this too far. Um, it, there's a denomination of Baptists called Primitive Baptists. Some of you may have heard of them. I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything wrong about them. They're pretty prevalent out in the mountains of the Appalachians, but they, most of them don't believe you ought to have any musical instruments at all in your worship, all right? Because in the New Testament, there's never made a mention of a musical instrument. Well, there's also no mention of Awana or youth group or mission boards or bus ministries. I think those are all good things too. And that's what I'm saying. God gives us some creative leeway there, right? But when he says he wants to be worshipped with instruments, here in the Old Testament, I think we ought to worship him with those instruments. He says sing a new song in verse 3. God commands us there to sing a new song. I don't know about you, but I love the old songs. I do. They're old for a reason. They're classic for a reason. We need to keep them. We need to sing them. We need to treasure them and the doctrinal truths they teach us. Most of those songs are full of doctrine that uh, inspire us and, and, and as, we, as we sing to each other and to God. But we also need to sing a new song, according to verse 3. So sing unto him a new song and play skillfully with a loud voice. Look, if God's mercies are new every morning, as we're told in Lamentations 3, then I think it's fitting that his people offer up new songs to him as well. The bottom line is this, uh, for us, for Baptists, that's how uh, we self-identify as people of the book, people of the book. If God says do it, we do it, all right? Um, and so our worship, even our worship, uh, its method and, and what it means, it's got to be in line with God's work, all right? So yes, we can be creative, uh, but as long as it doesn't go against God's work. Uh, the call to praise, 
Uh, it should follow God's description, God's directives as to how he wants to be worshipped. Now, verses 4 to 9, the main body of this song, gives us the cause for praise. So here's that key element in the Psalms. We're always told when we're moving from fear to faith that we need to focus on the facts, and we're given facts here, who God is, what God has done, what God's doing now, what God's promised to do. We're told to look at his character throughout the Psalms. We're told to look at his conduct. Here too, we're told to look at his word and praise him for that. We're to look at his works and praise him for those as well. It's a subject matter of our praise. So in verses four and five, we're given a very general introduction into two specific categories that should be themes of our praise. God's word and God's works. It says in verse four, for the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. And then it describes those works in verse five. He loveth righteousness and judgment or justice. God loves those things. Well, if you love something, that's what you're going to do. And it says the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. That word goodness is used three different times here in the Psalms in Hebrew. It's, it's the Hebrew word chesed, which means God's covenant love, his grace to us, his uh, mercy to us. Our, the undeserved favor we experience from God in salvation. Uh, when it says the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord, uh, two different times. Times later in the psalm, it's translated mercy, but it's talking about the relationship that we can have with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in verses 6 to 19, he gets a little more specific on the Word of God and the works of God, and he, he details two of them, God's sovereignty and then God's salvation. Uh, verses 6 to 9, God's sovereign power in creation. It says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host or, or the army of them by the breath of his mouth. How did God create the heavens? I don't know if you ever get a chance to go outside at night and look at them. One of the things I like living about in White Oak, there's just that Four County Electric security light, but if I go out the back, I can see a lot of stars. When I was in the Army, Scott, you might remember this, even though we were old enough where we only had Gen 1 night vision, right? But you put those things on, and you look up there, and you're like, there were no stars. You put those on, you see tons of stars up there and it's amazing how did god create the heavens the this host of planets and stars how did he do it this is word with the breath he said let there be the sun let there be jupiter saturn let there be the universe how did god create this whole world you and i how did he, he said let there be krista he said let there be miss kitty all right he did i don't what, what about 20 years ago all right, God said that, all right? He, he spoke things into existence. This is how he can do it. All right, even, um, I like to, sometimes I think we just get too mystical about it, but I mean, God is a God of science. He's the one that created science. I mean, what he spoke into existence, he said, let there be carbon and let there be oxygen and let there be nitrogen. And then he took those things and combined them and said, let there be this and this and this. This is our God. That's his sovereign power. He's worthy of praise because of that. We sang it tonight as we sang, all creatures of our God and King, let all things their creator bless. All things. You and I, even the trees, even the sun, uh, and worship him in humbleness. We sing, when we sing, great is thy faithfulness, I don't know if any of that, that's a favorite for any of y'all. Summer, winter, springtime, harvest, sun, moon, stars, and their courses above. They join with all nature and manifold witness to his great faithfulness to his mercy and love he should be worshiped because of this verse 7 
He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. It's got to be a meaningful verse to David and the Israelites. There's no doubt it references the creation of the waters, the separation of them in Genesis 1.8. But I think it probably also sparked a remembrance for David and the Israelites of when God gathered the waters as a heap two different times in their experience. When they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, they were at the Red Sea. Things didn't look good. Pharaoh was pursuing them. Moses had promised them that God was going to deliver them. Looks like they were in a dead end. And God parted the waters. Went against the laws of physics (laughs) that he he made. He parted the waters, made two walls of waters, dry ground to walk on. Did it again when they went into the promised land, into Canaan. And and our, our great creator is also the great controller. Waters are an amazing thing. Uh, You all know we just got back from Nags Head. I've never been up there. I've been to all these southern beaches, and they're wonderful. I like them. I think I might like them better because they're closer. But um, we went up there. Those are are a lot bigger waves up there, way out there. And I, I got out there in the water with the dog, and I was only about knee deep. And I had my sunglasses on, and Krista said, you know, you might want to take those off because I've lost some before when I didn't. I said, I'm not going underwater. And I backed up one, and a big wave came up and smacked me upside the head. And there went my glasses. Powerful wave. I mean, it, it hurt over for a while because she kind of stood there afterwards like, told you so. And I said, yeet, sure. Right? <laughs> but it did. And she was right. I've learned to say that in 24 years. She was right. I was wrong. But a powerful wave. I said, it's going to be fine. No, I'm only knee deep. Powerful, powerful waters. You know, things that seem chaotic and can be frightening. And, and God's a creator of them. And God's a controller of them. Um, I got a feeling that's just a wonderful word of encouragement to them. When they read verse 7 and then they sing this song, and it should be to you and I as well, this is not the God of deism that just, yes, maybe created the world and set it in motion and then doesn't get involved in it. This is a very involved God, when he, especially when it comes to delivering his people. <laughs> he, he stops scientific laws that we've, we've tried to understand. He, he parts the waters there. That's got to be uh, an encouragement that he made a way. And that's a prominent message in all of the Psalms, but definitely a word of encouragement for us. God has got this. Do you need to hear that tonight? I do. I turn on the news. God's got this. He's a a way maker. He is. He's sovereign. He's in control, church. And and we sing of that too. We just did. When I tread the when when I uh, tread the verge of Jordan and bid my anxious fears subside. Fears are normal in that. You think the Israelites were a little nervous walking through two walls of water? I would be. I don't like going across the bridges we had to go across this weekend. I would be. He said, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death. That's why we don't have to be anxious. Because when Christ died and rose from the grave, that was the death of death. Even the worst thing we could possibly think of on this earth isn't worse for us. Not for the one that has eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Land me safe on Canaan's side. That's where you're going. There's no doubt about that. 
That's what he did for us in Jesus. He made a way. He brought us to Canaan, and we sing it. This is our song, and this is our sovereign king. Look at verses 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. When you realize that this is who God is, that he's this great sovereign creator and great sovereign controller, the, the only response is to be in fear and awe of him. But most of the world isn't, are they? It says, let all the world be this way. And they're, they're not. Verse 9, for he spake and it was done. He commanded and it, it stood fast. That's the beautiful and proper response like it talked about in verse 1. Fear and awe should drive us to praise, but this doesn't happen. You know why we're here, Dublin First Baptist Church? When we got it, it's in our purpose. We're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Every single person, and, and as we make up the church, that's our purpose, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That doesn't happen everywhere. It may not even happen in our neighborhood for everyone. And so we've got a mission. And that mission is to make the name of Jesus treasured here in Bladen County and in the United States and, and around the world so that people will enjoy God, God or glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's why our vision is. One day that will be true. One day when he returns in power to reign, everyone will fall on bended knee. And until then, this is our purpose and our mission, our vision, because verses 8 and 9 are not true for everyone. So we who do recognize his sovereign power and creation, we tell others about it. You know, when, when they're overwhelmed with the chaos that's going on in this world, we say, we have a hope. We know who's in control. That's a message this world needs to hear. Bad. That's, that's a powerful witness to Jesus Christ. Verse 10 and 11. Uh, it says, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. Thank God that that is a promise in God's word. <laughs> is there a counsel of the heathen against God, against his word, against his people in this day and age? There's no doubt about it. I read about something, I think it happened this weekend. There's a, a, a statue uh, to Lewis in, in St. Louis. And, and there's Catholics praying around, praying the rosary around it. We're attacked and beaten, unconscious. Doesn't make sense. The earth and all of its inhabitants haven't. For the most part, they've rejected this fear and awe response. Instead, they counsel together against the Lord and against his will and against his word and even against his people. And how do we respond in that unsettling chaos? Well, we focus on the facts. Is he sovereign? He is. It says in verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. He, he will bring their counsel to naught or to nothing. He makes the devices, the plans of those people. He's going to make them to none effect. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, man, they seem like they're being pretty effective right now. Four months. The whole world's changed quite a bit in four months, hasn't it? Is God still sovereign? Yeah, we need, we need to know this. Even in this mixed up one, this mixed up world, this mixed up generation, the council, verse 11, the council of the Lord, or the plans of the Lord, it stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations, even 2020. Still got a plan, still got a purpose. What's happening now? What's gonna happen tomorrow? What's gonna happen next month if the Lord tarries? What happens next year is not outside God's power. It's not even outside his plan and purpose. And that, if we focus on that fact, it's gonna fuel our faith and help us experience his grace, like it says at the end of verse, or at the end, in verse 22, at the end of the psalm. Listen to some of these other scriptures that teach us. It's not the only place we're told about this. God's sovereignty is so important for us if we're gonna move from fear to faith to focus on. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. 
Job 42.2, was that a man who knew how to respond in difficult times? Job 42.2 says, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted, none. Daniel 4.35, I like this one because it's the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar who thought he was high and mighty, who thought he could go against the counsel of God and then God had to set him down for about a year and let him live outside eating grass like a wild animal. And finally, he turned to the Lord, and this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel 4, 35. All the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one, no one can stay his hand. No one can say, what have you done? That's our God. That's our sovereign God. Those are facts that you and I need to focus on. It's what we need to hear. It's what we need to remind ourselves of. It's what we need to believe. It's even what we need to sing. It's what we need to sing. This is what God's calling us to sing about. Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I love going through God's word this way. He lines it up right when we need it. July 4th, in the midst of all this chaos. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen as his own inheritance. Happy, that's what we learned blessed means. Some of you, if you've got a modern translation, might actually say that. Happy is he. You know, here's a promise. And the problem is the opposite is also promised. You won't be happy as a nation if your God is not the Lord. And it's the reason that we as a nation find ourselves in the predicament that we're currently in. But don't lose hope and get all depressed. It's also motivation for what we just talked about a minute ago. Our purpose, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Not necessarily even enjoy the wonderful America that we knew two years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's also our mission to make other people do that. In the name of Jesus treasured here, there, and everywhere. It's also our vision. One day that will be true. Every knee will bow. Everyone will glorify God and enjoy him forever. There will be no rebellion. Verses 13 to 15, we find out God's watching says, the Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts alike. He considers all their works. God's watching. He's not just an omnipotent sovereign. He's also an omniscient. He knows all. He's also an omnipresent sovereign. He's everywhere. He looks and he sees the response of human beings to the fact that he's the creator and controller of the universe. He looks and sees the response of human beings, those who know him as Savior and those who don't, those who praise him and those who don't. He looks at their response to his word and to his work. Verse 15 says he fashions their heart alike. We can, we can just stop with all the divisiveness of ethnicities and gender and whatever else. He fashions every heart alike. We're all equally in need of a Savior. He considers all their works. He wants them to consider his works and he considers our works. And here's the question. What is our heart? Is it one of worship toward God? Here's the question. What are our works? Is it one of submission to this sovereign? Is that how we live our lives? God's salvation. First, we looked at God's sovereignty. That should be a theme of our praise. It should be a cause for our praise. Secondly, God's salvation in verses 16 and 17. There's no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. In fact, a horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. God's saying here, watch what you depend on. Be very careful about what you depend on, what you put your faith in. 
You know, that's been our problem ever since Genesis 3, since that great uh, first temptation, even till now, is to put our trust in something else or in someone else other than the sovereign for our salvation. It says in verse 16, there's no king saved this way. It doesn't matter if you're a king or you could even call yourself a pawn, whether you have a lot of power and authority or you have absolutely none. It doesn't matter. Uh, You need salvation from the sovereign king. That's what we're told here. He's fashioned all hearts alike, and he's offered and invited to salvation all hearts alike. It doesn't matter if you have the power of a politician. It doesn't matter if you have military might or the strength of a soldier. It doesn't matter. It's a vain thing for safety to trust in these things. Vain meaning futile, pointless, purposeless. Why would you put your trust in this? It's inadequate to give you salvation. It's inadequate uh, for your deliverance. I'm going to give you two examples from the Old Testament that I just love. In 1 Kings 22, 1 Kings 22, King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah uh, make an alliance because they're having problems with the king of Syria. All right, and Ahab tells Jehoshaphat that they're going to go into battle, but that Ahab's going to disguise himself as just a common soldier. And Jehoshaphat should wear all of Ahab's royal robes. Can you think of why he might do that? What a stand-up guy Ahab is, right? And so the Syrian captain says to the soldiers, I don't even want you fighting with the Israeli army or the Judah army. I want you to go after King Ahab. He's number one. You take out their leader, we're done. So everybody, go towards Ahab. So they get out there and they're fighting, and it's not long before they realize that Ahab is not Ahab, it's Jehoshaphat's in Ahab's clothes. And one lone soldier, one lone Syrian soldier, pulls back his bow and haphazardly flings an arrow into the air, and guess where it lands? Right in between the joints of armor that Ahab had on. Impressive shot. Wasn't even aiming. Let me give you the other example, 1 Samuel 17. You know this account well. It's David and Goliath. Goliath's a mighty warrior, isn't he? Strong, tall, everybody's in fear of him. Has the best technology, armor, weaponry of the time. But he was struck down just like Ahab was, with a stone from a sling of a shepherd boy. (laughs) You know, um, with maybe a little more intent than that soldier that shot Ahab did. But in both of these examples, was it military might or human ingenuity? or strength of a warrior that saved the day that did this? Was it those things that provided safety or salvation in that arrow and in that stone? Who was in charge? God, our sovereign God. Who, who saved? God, our sovereign God. He's the one that intervened. He's the one that ruled the day. That arrow and that stone, they did what they did because they had the velocity of divinity. God sent them. God caused it to do what it was supposed to do. Verses 18 and 19, behold, when you see behold, it means check this out. Look intently to this, pay attention. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. And you're like, yes, I know. It says in verses 13 and 14, the Lord looketh, the Lord looketh. It's talking about something different. Yes, the Lord's omniscient, omnipresent. He sees all men, but behold, the eye of the Lord looks upon those that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Mercy. There's a special care and concern that God has for his people, a special watching over for those who fear him and hope in his mercy. There's mercy again, the same uh, word that we found at the end of verse 5, that, that word has said, that hope in his grace, that hope in having a relationship with him, 
is what it means. Also, we find it in verse 22. And so we who do, we who do fear the Lord, we who do hope in his mercy, we're called here to behold that, to focus on that, especially when everything goes nuts around us and it seems like the world's falling apart. God says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on you. He's watching over you. He has special care and concern for you. He's sovereign. He's your savior. He cares about you that much. And then we're to call to praise him for that. Let's look at the last three verses, verses 20 to 22. This is the crescendo of praise. You know, what's described here is, is how to praise God. And it just raises this loud climax here. We're, we're to praise God this way with a song that never ends in verses 18 to 21, we got five different terms, five different words for faith, or five different features of faith. Starting in verse 18, the eye of the Lord is on them that fear, and that fear him, that's one aspect of faith. Uh, upon them that hope in his mercy, that's another aspect of faith. Drop down to verse 20, our soul waiteth for the Lord, not just patiently trusting him, but also serving him while doing that. Verse 21, for our heart shall rejoice in him. That's an aspect of faith. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what we're called to do. And then entrusted in thy holy name. In three verses, we got five different words for what our faith should be. You know, there's hymn songs, there's praise songs that we sing here at Dublin that are my favorite. And I don't know about you, but there's times when I wish they wouldn't end, right? We get to that last verse and I'm like, I wish they'd keep going. And I don't know if you ever feel that way. I think God does. You know, in Revelation 4, we're told of four beasts up there in heaven, and all they do, day and night, haven't stopped for eternity past and won't stop for eternity future, is they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's all they do. I think God uh, likes those songs, but there's a song that never ends that God wants to hear even more. It's the song of faith, not us singing faith, us, us living faith out. It's a song of his redeemed people who do fear him and do hope in his mercy and do wait for him and, and also rejoice in him because they've trusted in his holy name. The, the harpist may go home, the psaltery may quit reverberating, but those who live in faith those who focus on God's sovereignty and his salvation in the midst of very fearful circumstances, those who can choose to say and to sing God is good in the middle of battling cancer, those who choose to turn from sin and turn to God and start thinking and talking and walking like their Savior, those people who can't go a day without hearing from God or talking to God. Those people are those who sing a song of faith that never ends. It's, it's a crescendo of praise. That's difficult sometimes, isn't it? Because you are battling cancer. You are having family problems or money problems or relationship problems. So how can anyone do that? How can you still have faith in those times? And verse 22 tells us we can have a song that never ends because our song should come from the source that never ends. That source is God's grace. He says, let thy mercy. There it is again. There's said. Your covenant love, your undeserved favor, let it be upon us, Lord. We want your grace. Who doesn't want God's grace? We all do. But notice very carefully the last phrase, according as we hope in thee. How much grace, our experience of grace we get from God, God's chosen to use faith as the conduit that we experience his grace by. It's a source that never ends. Give us your mercy, Lord. He's done that. He's given it to you in Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 8.32 says after we learn that all things work together for those who love God, 
who are called according to his purpose. And you're like, I don't know. Sometimes that's hard to believe. And he says in Romans 8, 32, he says this, he who didn't give, he, he who didn't spare his own son, how will he not give you all things? Of course he will. It's who he is. It's an inexhaustible source of grace. The proof is Jesus Christ. And he's holding it out to you. And he's saying, here it is. Here's grace. Whosoever will may come. What will you do with it? How will you receive it? Will you receive it by faith? That's what the end of verse 22 says. The source of grace that never ends is, is held out there for you and I. It's there for the taking. And it's our experience according to as we hope in thee. Not according to as we hope in thee and on Sunday and Wednesday, but Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I hope in thee and my job. I hope in thee and my relationship. I hope in thee and you fill in the blank. No. I will experience your grace. Let it be upon us, God, but according as we hope in thee. So will you? Will you receive his grace? I mean, will you join? It's a never-ending chorus, a never-ending song. That's what he wants to hear by you fearing him, as it said in verse 18, and, and hoping in his grace and, and waiting for the Lord and, and rejoicing in him and trusting in his holy name. Starts with salvation. Starts with first coming to Christ and doing that putting in everything into what Jesus did for you, trusting, completely trusting in him alone. If you've never done that, I, enjoy, I, I uh, ask you to do that tonight. I invite you to do that tonight. But Christian, you who have experienced that grace and maybe started looking for it somewhere else, maybe the faith has weakened, will you answer the call by celebrating the causes for faith? Gave us sovereignty? Focus on that. God's salvation? Focus on that. The one who made a way, will you be a part of a crescendo of faith, uh, of, of praise that is, is done by singing with faith in our hearts? I'm going to do that here in a minute. I'm going to ask Tommy and the praise team to come up. We'll sing a couple more songs, uh, lifting up God and all he is for us in Jesus. But if you want that song to never end, it's got to be there tomorrow. It's going to be there tomorrow by you living, living in faith, not just singing about it. But believing here, when the music stops, it doesn't have to stop. That song of faith can go on. But we're going to start tonight by singing.